I just think about the woman who has the two copper points and the sacrifice and the give and it's scary all over again for us to be confronted with our brokenness in leadership. But then again and again, the Lord compounds testimony to his ability and his sufficiency to show up in our brokenness and he just fills every gap and he just shows up and shows off and I'm like, I don't wanna do anything else. I don't wanna be enough. I don't wanna be anything other than broken, willing, and like desperate for him because that's just like the only place I've, I've seen real momentum. Jessica Hutz is the founder of Activate Global, a ministry committed to taking the love of Jesus to the hardest places in the world. Starting at just 25 years old with only a dream in her heart, God has since used Jessica to help build a team of people who focus on training and mentoring local disciple makers, helping them kickstart sustainable small businesses, which support their mission and their livelihoods. Activate Global serves in 15 of the world's most challenging nations to reach, where they have launched, get this, 384 businesses, trained 637 leaders, planted 568 churches, and engaged 142 unreached people groups. Jessica authentically shares her journey of learning how not being enough and even being broken as a leader might be exactly what God uses to set you up to experience Him way beyond your wildest dreams. Well, Jessica, welcome to the How He's Building This podcast. I love that title, Stan. <laughs> I'm so glad to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Super excited. Love talking about leadership. Love talking about leadership with you specifically as well. So this is going to be really fun. So jumping right in, what would be your working definition of leadership? Yeah, right now, thinking about leadership in the sense of the ability to create momentum or movement toward a problem with a people for a purpose. Um, it's kind of how I'm thinking about it right now. Um, you know, do we have the ability to influence, to, well, to identify a problem, a reason for for gathering people together to create that momentum and the dynamic of team, um, you know, for for a greater purpose. And um, yeah, that's kind of been something I'm chewing on right now. Yeah. So when you when you think back to kind of when you were growing up, right? What when would you say that was the first time that looking back now you didn't necessarily kind of recognize it at the time? You maybe didn't call <laughs> it leadership at the time, but as you look back, you go you know what, this is kind of the first time that I actually led something or someone. Man, that I was thinking about this the other day, actually in a conversation with somebody and just triggering those early memories. And I'm like, oh my, absolutely unhoned, almost embarrassing, <laughs> <laughs> but technically was probably leading people stand in a backyard club down the hill from my house. Like mm -hmm. after we'd get home from school, we'd have friends over and uh, for me, I called it the Jesus Club and just rallied people together. And huh. honestly, um, don't ask any one of them how that went. It was probably not a great experience <laughs> for anyone. But I just remember the urgency of life and feeling like, whoa, I think we got to live for this, this Jesus that I'm hearing about at a young age. And remember bringing people together and, you know, wanting to get people fired up um, in the Jesus club in the tree fort down the hill from my house. 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah. So how old were you about? Oh man, elementary school. Oh wow. yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Love it. Far too young to be doing anything in the formal leadership. That's yeah. probably <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, good segue into my next question. So as you think about leadership and leaders, do you believe that leaders are born or are leaders made? Both. Yeah, yeah. I would say yes. Yes. <laughs> I do think that there are parts of being a leader that are natural. Um, I guess I can speak pretty much out of my own experience. Um, some that I know of and I've learned from and, and have just observed out of my own experience, I'd say both. I I remember again feeling the need and then just grabbing a hold of whatever was needed to bring the right pieces together to create an outcome. Um, and so that was something that I just did. I remember one year um, at our church, we had always consecutively had a pretty dynamic and impactful Christmas program. And that for that year, no one was going to do it because there wasn't anyone to lead it. And for me, I think I was maybe in high school. Oh man, middle school, high school at the time. I'm not great on detail <laughs> in that age realm, but I remember thinking we have to do this. And so it was just a natural response was got a few friends together who were wanted. They were also like, absolutely. And we made it happen. So it was more student led that year. And things like that have always just been there for me. But I think outside of the development of leadership and the that pure like, hey, was just born to lead. I, I believe that about myself. Maybe not all people. I think some people have to cultivate that a little more. I'm not sure. But um, for me, I was born to lead and very much needed to grow it, to hone it. Um, <laughs> and I could like stand up right now saying the second half because yes, born with it, but yes, capital yes, um, needed to hone it, grow it, exercise mm -hmm. a lot of skill development around it for it to be most productive and helpful to the world. Yeah. So I think again, and I probably shared this on another podcast, I'll probably share it on others because every time we talk about this specific thing, I think about this verse that it talked with, it was uh, speaking to Timothy, when, it's, when and it said, don't neglect the spiritual gift that's within you. It said, take pains with these, take pains with them, be absorbed by them so that your mm -hmm. progress might be evident to all. I mean, that's talking about spiritual gifting. That talks, that's mm -hmm. talking about, it says, by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Like, mm -hmm. so this was a spirit-empowered gifting that still also had to be taken pains with, be, being absorbed with it so that you can make progress with it and it'd be evident to all that you were progressing in it. So, yeah, I think that's really true. Yeah, so much testimony and progress, isn't there? <laughs> mm, yeah, that's good. All right. So I asked you earlier, when was the first time that you, looking back, led, even though you may not have called yourself that necessarily, didn't use those words, you just kind of did it. So, okay, now I want to know, when did when was the first time that you actually considered yourself a leader when you, it wasn't just, you were doing it. You're like, in all humility, all those kind of things to God be the glory. But at what point did you go, I'm, I'm a leader. This is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. Ooh, who I am, what I do. That's good. I was going to say, I rolled a leadership at various levels throughout my high school years, but I think when I realized and activated that maybe would have called myself a leader, it was in college and 
I had the gospel had one just completely wrecked my life in the best way and was ignited to this new world of purpose in the kingdom and um, the imminent need in front of me that I became aware of at a practical and inner gut level, Holy Spirit level was um, human trafficking. And I realized at the time, at that time when I was in college, there wasn't a lot of awareness around it. And so I just asked people around me. I also knew would be passionate about that. I said, hey, let's let's start a anti-trafficking advocacy group on campus. And we did. And we instigated um, a campus chapter for advocacy for trafficking. We did a, a justice week. We stood for 27 hours for the 27 million people trapped in modern day slavery, stood on my feet for <laughs> 27 hours through the night um, outside on campus and just mass mobilized awareness for this issue. I think it was in stepping into it that I realized why isn't what, it's not that it's not hard for me, but I was like, why is this so natural to me? And I think at that point I knew I was um, born to lead um, because of not only what it did to me, but what it did for the world around me and for the individuals who joined the movement. I mean, we saw God just meeting people um, through mobilizing awareness for trafficking on campus. And so uh, yeah, when I saw what God did in me, I it just I don't I don't even know if I slept for a while. Like it was powerful mm. and saw what God did in the people joining the movement and saw what God did to bring awareness for um, victims and people facing these things around the world and in our state. I was like, this is so key and part of what I want to do. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So as you think about leadership, uh, Jessica, and the way that you lead. This is somewhat connected to earlier, the earlier question of born or made, you know, have it, or you got to develop it. But would you say just overall, overarchingly, do you tend to lead more intuitively or do you tend to, to lead more intentionally from like a skill development application point? Like I read this book, this, this is the way that it said to do it. I'm going to do it this way. You know what I'm saying? Do you say you lead more intuitively or more intentionally? I would say probably a combination, but probably earlier is intuitively. Um, now, I think maybe some of that intuitiveness and, and just going, it just feels like a byproduct of who I am. But at the same time, the intentional investments into who I am mm -hmm. are affecting the intuition. Very well and said. I so love that. <laughs> keep going keep it's going so it's so true i i do some ingesting the ever growing um ingesting of better because i think not i don't know if very many things other than marriage put on display more into the world like your weakness mm. than leadership as well so it's a really vulnerable space yeah. but as i've been growing and those investments have honed my intuition of leadership because i do i prefer to lead out of intuition as you share that, Jessica, which again, I, I, I didn't know how you'd answer it then, but I love the way that you just answered that. There's a guy that uh, you've heard me reference a ton because of a, a book that he did on time management, getting things done, David Allen. But he says, all decisions to act are intuitive. And he said, he goes, but you can do things to develop, cultivate, strengthen your confidence in your intuition. I love the way you said that. Again, I didn't have that thought in my brain until you put it there. Thank you. That's why I love doing these. I get to learn from my <laughs> guests. As I've told people before, like 
like copying someone else, it may produce something better than you could on your own if you're not very gifted in that particular area, but it will never do something great and grand. I think about like church models. There's churches that have copied other churches. They did better than they were doing before on their own because they didn't know where they're going, but it's only those who are original in their pursuit of God and what God wants to do uniquely through them and their leadership yes. Yes. that do something grand and glorious to the glory of God. Copying never works. So, I mean, leadership by its essence really is that first person original expression of leadership. You never lose your center about who you are as a leader and how you lead. Exactly. Stan, I'm so glad you're saying this because the whole copying thing, I think there are things we can learn, but when applied, we want to trust God with the input to create the application point because leadership in a sense is a, just a byproduct of people. And the Lord is very interested in his people mm. and he's willing and he's speaking and he's doing a thing through a people for a people. And so if we're just copying, it's like we're wanting an end result more than we're wanting him. Mm, and he wants really us to cool. want him. And then he works this byproduct mm. out through the uniqueness of humans for his glory to go to other humans and to himself through people. And so that's why I think what you're saying is so important that copying, it's like we can learn, but man, there is, there's not a remedy to kingdom impact. It's a, other than you get close, you get near to him and let that imprint on you be the expression of ministry and leadership, particularly that you put into the world. Uh, we don't get to skip that part because mm. that's, that's where the gold is. Man, I love what you just said that, that uh, when we don't do it that way, we're trying to manipulate a result instead of allowing God to bring about the result that he wants through following him. That's a whole different animal. That's really good. Yes, exactly. And it should be as unique and different as the people he Yes. Can. Yeah. I got this postcard years ago when I was serving in a church here in Lincoln. And, and the postcard said, how does a church go from 40 to 4,000 in three years? And it goes, it's a God thing. And then mm -hmm. the next thing is, come and we'll show you how we, how to do it. <laughs> like, who who proofed this for this person? Like, who who looked at this and said, what are we saying? Like, is this a God thing? Or is this something that uh, you did and, and you can train someone on how to make it happen in their space, right? So, anyway. For 1995, right? There you go. <laughs> Bring your whole team and oh, we'll give you a discount. Yeah. You're right. It's a God thing. It's about spiritual leadership. Exactly. Right. This isn't about man-made fleshly leadership. It's about spiritual leadership. And by nature, that's about the spirit of God and what he's seeking to do in and through the life of a leader in their, in their leadership. So. Exactly. And there are trends in our time, but like, I think God, maybe he's, he, there's, there are things that he's doing, like kind of, we think about God and like the wave of what God's doing in our time and like, see where he's at work and join him. Like the, I think there are trends and seasons at times for purposes, but I think it, it's sometimes a little concerning how much mimicking is going on because yeah. he, he's drawing us to himself. He wants us to seek him for the new thing he wants to do um, because that's real kingdom fruit. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I'm running for mayor right now, which is crazy. But one of the things that's interesting, because again, I'm not trying to do this. It's just the way that I'm wired. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it differently. <laughs> right. And, and 
but so many people and so many things are trying to kept trying to have, have continued to try to shove me down the way it's always done. Yeah. And they're even, they even raised the question of my, <laughs> you know, what am I doing? And, you know, cause I'm not doing it the same way everyone's always done it, but I just, I just not, I'm just not wired that way. I'm like, no, what are we trying to get done? And then, yeah, it's a, it's cause it's about a leadership expression through me, uh, even running for mayor. And it's just, yeah. Anyway, yeah, exactly. it's interesting. That's a huge theme, huge theme for me this year, Stan, is leading by listening. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, even the title of this podcast gets me excited because it's like there needs to be more narrative around that, Yeah. around that we lead not by having all the answers, which I sure have tried to in different seasons uh, of it, but it's about it's about listening to the Lord and activating. And yeah, then we need to practically form right next steps, right? In faith. But it's more about following than it is about um, us just muscling our way through. I, I pretty much would say every leadership expression starts with some level discontentment, dissatisfaction. Because again, if that wasn't the case, then why would I be trying to take me and a group of people anywhere else? Why would I be trying to change, advance, affect something if I was satisfied with what was happening, what was, right? So anyway, it makes sense that there's this discontentment by itself isn't leadership, but not all discontentment leads to leadership, but all leadership starts with discontentment. So talk about Activate Global. What was the discontentment that began that spark that ended up in being a leadership expression? For me, the discontent came when one, my life was transformed by the gospel. Um, I heard about this person of Jesus, right? All growing up. And at a certain point, it me had a certain place in a clear way. And my life will never be the same. I mean, I was filled with the spirit. The whole world felt different to me. And I finally felt set free from the brokenness of my sin and felt alive in Christ, like eternally alive. Like it says that this is eternal life, that you would know the father and the one whom he sent. And I was like, eternal life starts now because we mm. can know Jesus. Like that's amazing. Mm. No longer I'm afraid of eternal destiny and, and destination and um, alive to purpose. Therefore, alive to the mission of God and to join him on his rescue mission of humanity to redeem his multi-ethnic family. Now, when I go on a trip to South Asia to extend that message, um, I am I come face to face, Stan, with people who have never heard of Jesus, never met a Christian, and have never heard the gospel, seen a faith community church. And that did something to me. Mm. I was like, we are in the 21st century. Like there are churches everywhere. There is Christian material in tons of translations. And yet there are people in my time, in this generation who will be born, live and die without knowing that Jesus came for them. I mean, even reading a little history on the wise men and where they came from in that geographical area. I mean, some people estimate that the wise men never heard the end of the story. Mm. Like this redeemer that came to the world to set us free. It's really good news for the people who get the news. Mm. Um, but there are a people in the world, many people groups 
who are considered unreached and they live beyond access of the gospel. And to me, I was like, there are a lot of places you can go with that and you can engage the Lord on it. And I've done those things and I have engaged him on them. And my conclusion is still the same. And that's Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples. And I was like, why to all nations, all the ethne, all the ethnic diverse people groups in the world, why are so many of them still living beyond the reach of this gospel if we believe that it's actually true mm. um what are we doing <laughs> that was a conviction for me there's that discontent dissatisfaction that creates this spark of energy within them so you know the classic word is vision to more just simply define that it is you can't just be discontent and be a leader in that space you've got to be able to see how could it be different that vision started illuminating for me not all at a moment but i feel like it crystallized action at a certain moment but it started illuminating when um, we moved to South Asia to be closer to the problem, right? Um, I've heard a pastor in Ghana say, you get insight when you're on site. Mm. Uh, I love that. And uh, of course he said it in this beautiful way that I, that I can't, <laughs> um, but it was, it was really true. So we were trying to get insight by being on site mm. and not coming with answers, but coming with that discontent, that spark and willingness and some other stuff, right? Like we were like, okay, we have that, but we don't have solution, but we need to get some insight so that we we move geographically, resettled ourselves closer to the problem. And we start seeing what God is doing because we're like, Lord, what are you doing? And where are you calling? That can be um, mobilized and generated movement in different areas of that need and that problem. But what we saw was one, what the Lord was doing through local believers. Uh, we saw what the Lord was doing through multiplication, DNA of discipleship, and then church formation, multiplication, new, um, new old strategies that we're truly seeing multiplication happen that every believer is a disciple maker and they were trained and we went to a conference and um, a, a local conference here with you know a national um, believers and, and church planters and we saw um, up to man I think at the time it was somewhere around 13 generations of this church they made disciples into areas and then they formed, right? And then that one, so not the same one, one tier, like 13 generations. Wow. And we were thinking local believers, they have language, they have culture, they have all the things that we don't. Like it was very clear that we were not blending in this scenario. And then <laughs> too, we saw obedience to the word of God, just like sacrifice, but lived out through like a strategic plan of multiplication and then what started birthing in front of us was this idea of sustainability is if we could create sustainable, viable ways. And we, so we saw some of these things and we, it was like the Lord, I mean, it, he could have just turned on a neon sign for mm. us because, you know, you know, my husband and I, we just were like, ding, that's it. We want to accelerate 
locals who are multiplying through sustainable initiatives mm. because we saw the breakdown of um, the lack of sustainability in um, in the momentum of that multiplying movement. And so that's where we were like, we got to we got to get in on this. This is so fun. And in the model that we felt like God was just rolling out in front of our eyes with a combination of seeing so many other brilliant people already doing it, um, you know, it could do it, Stan. And I think that is what got me weepy. And I was like, we could see this happen. Like not we exclusively as a global church in our time. Like, I think we could, actually do this like mm-hmm. i think god would if we attempted this with and for him in our time like we have the technology we have the unifying like a lot of the the global missions world is, is unifying right now around big picture vision i mean awareness mobilization i'm like scripture access we're closer than we've ever been to getting languages um translated to scripture both oral scripture and written scripture and scripture for the deaf and I just was like whoa it felt like a holy rumble in the atmosphere and I was like oh we're not not being a part of that like we're gonna get in on this Lord like would you let us be a part of it and so I'm seeing like I think that I think this could actually happen Mm, yeah and specifically when you talk about sustainability just to be clear for those who aren't familiar with Activate, it's about empowering them to create their own local business, right? That funds and fuels their livelihood as those on mission as locals and also funds the missional movement. Exactly. So we want to take the missional movement back to the DNA of the marketplace because we just believe that we've got to be on mission where people are 24-7 and most people are in the homes, in the marketplaces of the world. And so, yes, with Activate, we help those frontline church planners think through um, a plan for starting an income generating activity in their lives to fuel their mission, to accelerate the gospel, to get them access into um, challenging places and people groups, sustain their families to better demonstrate the gospel and allow them to be generous to those around them. We call them kingdom businesses because we want to redeem um, business um, for to accelerate the kingdom. So that's the sustainability com- component. Yeah, and back to the the discontent part, and that is among the unreached people groups of the world. Yes, exactly. Those frontline workers, they're going out with a sustainable income generating activity, kingdom business. They are taking the light of the gospel and they are literally um, engaging those who have never heard, mm-hmm. never heard the name of Jesus. And it's powerful because they look around and it's not some something that looks like a far off, far culture, you know, thing. It looks like Rashid, you know, having chickens. Mm. And to me, that is the glorious, beautiful, simple stuff of the kingdom, mm. but it's absolutely intentional. It's well-trained. Um, It's well-deployed, but it's like, man, at the next generation, right? Activate. We won't have the opportunity to serve every frontline worker that needs to go out. But what it's doing is it's modeling something that can be reproduced locally. And that's, what's really interesting to us to see the multiplying DNA then no longer really needs us. It's like, go like, Hey, keep on doing what you're doing and, and share with those around you so that it multiplies out. Um, beyond what any of us could really imagine. 
God is always at work among us. For the last 13 years, Cincy and the Hope Venture team in Lincoln have been seeking to bring hope and dignity to the most disadvantaged people in the world. A huge undertaking. We say a lot that we're a jazz band trying to make good music and sometimes we get off note. To stay on note, Cincy was looking to help clarify their ministry vision and was connected to Momentum, a ministry of MyBridge which invests and Christian leaders and the organizations they lead. Momentum has been huge for us. It gives us a framework to be steady and a bass drum to align to. The framework came from implementing Momentum's robust operating system that helped clarify Hope Ventures' vision and boldly pursue their mission in six countries in Africa and Southeast Asia. The alignment that has come and the clarity of what we're trying to accomplish together, that's been huge. If we can align back on the root of the cord and have a bass drum that keeps us steady throughout it, like we're going to make some sweet music. God is on the move through MyBridge Momentum, accelerating Nebraska ministries like the Hope Venture as they make some sweet music, fulfilling God's kingdom purposes for their ministry. MyBridge Radio, celebrating God at work among us. Share your story and join the conversation in the Connect Now section at mybridgeradio.net. Processing through the leadership equation here, we talked about discontent with the status quo and kind of how God kind of birthed that within you, how that was that spark that began that leadership expression over time. But it wasn't just being discontent. It was like seeing something that could be different. So the third part of the equation is influence, right? You got to be able to take and move yourself and others from what is towards that vision. So talk about that. The influence piece, um, that was, you know, if we would have been trying to influence, I don't know that we would have. <laughs> Um, it, it's funny because we were, we were like really young at the time, <laughs> um, 22 to be exact and going guys, we gotta, right. So we meet, um, these local believers that had come from pretty intense, um, backgrounds that were not following Jesus. They had, they had all experienced encountered the gospel and we together were like, we've got to do something. And we introduce this concept of unreached people, like there are unreached people near you. So sometimes we have this misconception that because people live in an unreached people group or they're from an unreached people group, that they know about unreached people groups. And that's not true. Um, they they didn't really. And so we were like, this is what the Lord says, so like stewarding God's vision and just being able to go, we've got to reach them. And then it was like a calling people to really the Lord's work um, created influence. So wasn't trying to influence as much as I was like, man, like this is what the Lord says. This is what he cares about. We got to, we got to create momentum and we all got to be a part of it because it's too big for, for one of us. So like, let's all be a part of it because each one of us, when being obedient, can have a significant impact or the ripple effect. I think mother Teresa is known for is like on the world, like in, in this particular part of the world. And so we brought people together. They shared their need with us. We were like, absolutely. We wanted to come in with that sustainability. They had a lot of need around that. So just, all together really is how we started doing that. Then it was like, oh, more need highlighted. Um, we needed some 
we needed prayer. Like we needed people to uphold this whole thing in prayer. We started calling back home, just sharing, just telling people about what the Lord was doing, what he put in our heart. And then all of a sudden other people are like, now that's burning in my heart. Like it wasn't mm. before because I didn't know about it. So it was just this awareness started burning in the hearts of my family and friends. I call back to Heather, call back to Sarah, call back to my parents. And it was like, we got to do something. I'm like called back to the college ministry I had been a part of. And, and then they responded and they're like, we want to be a part of it. So it was really just this unfolding of, of a practical, tangible pathway for people to be a part of what God was doing, um, started creating the wake of what I guess now I would call influence, uh, invitation, mm-hmm. uh, inviting people, seeing their part um, to kickstart this kingdom business. We needed resources. Um, we had no resources. <laughs> we didn't have much for that, for resources as far as finances go. So um, we kind of said, hey, the embosser machine for this company would cost this much and raw materials think will cost this much. And we're just trying to kickstart one kingdom business to begin with, right? To see if it's really worth reproducing. And then someone back home was like, I'd love to, I could do that. I could fund the embosser machine. And then someone else was like, you know, we, we just put it out there and stand just God. It just, just drew people. We sat in a Burger King with some of our now favorite people. And they were like, we just had never done this before. We had come back to the States and we're sharing this vision. And, and they were like, yeah, we'll take the rest. We'll cover the rest. And we, I'm like, we left there going, what just happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) that people do that? And so um, we, yeah, we just got to see people get invited into that response, which really created us and us together reality, Mm. um, which is where things really got fun. I'm hearing an influence by obedience, right? That you stepped out into it and were willing to be obedient to what uh, Jesus was doing and what he was doing in your heart. You and I always often talk about being the first follower, right? So you were leading the way by being that first follower, into the space that God was kind of leading into. It's interesting because Jeff um, Kaiser, who we had on earlier from Camp Sunshine, he talked about invitation, inviting people in. And you just said that too, influence through invitation. Now let's talk about sacrifice. (laughs) I've been reading this book a long time ago. The essence that stuck with my soul was someone is kind of excited about stepping into a leadership space, like then they've never led before. They don't know about leadership. (laughs) You know what I was thinking? I was thinking... Oh, get out now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yes. If you've if you've authentically led into something, then you know that there's a cost and you are sobered by that cost. Right. So yeah, talk about that in your own experience, kind of the as you've stepped into this space. You know, I think about the verse, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that verse has grounded me in some seasons where I needed his presence to be my joy because the cost felt like it was going to take me out. Hmm. And I think when I've been in good seasons of dependence and going, your presence is where joy comes from. So I got to hold on to that because sometimes we want to find it in what people are saying about our leadership or how they how it lands with them particularly because my mind imminently goes to the hardest cost of being kind of an easy 
it's a target, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, my husband always talks about it like in a basketball game and Stan, you know, I'm not real, real good (laughs) in sports things. Um, So I'm not real fluent in sports analogies, but he, he said something to me once that really clicked with me. And he said, if you're, if you're pressing somebody um, in man-to-man defense and and they're really good, then you're going to, you're going to be pressing them pretty hard because you're, you're a key player and you're off the bench and you're in the game and you're activating movement and you're, and you're making, you're making an impact out there. And so should we not be surprised um, at the spiritual cost? Um, I think that sometimes that comes in the form of, you know, criticism where there would be maybe a general sense of grace for someone else, because you're in the position that you are um, lead in the dynamic that you do. Uh, You're just, you're kind of a target for criticism. Um, that's hard. So that's a part of the cost, I think. Um, and there's been so many things. I mean, it's cost us at the beginning, a lot of our, um, a lot of our time. I, I mean, last, I mean, I say both in the early days, last year, we were gone a combined total of 170 days out of the year. Um, so you're, we're weary cost of time, fatigue, weariness, um, coming home, it doesn't stop. You know that, Stan, it it goes everywhere you go. And so there's good internal things we can learn, right, about trust and, and, and letting go and letting Jesus carry our burdens. We all, I think at a certain point, have to really unpack that I mean, I could probably just keep going and going yeah. and going with the different things that it's felt like it's cost us. However, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Mm-hmm. And that's true because when nothing else seems to be keeping you there, that's enough to keep you there. Mm-hmm. The obedience and the presence of the Lord where he goes, we go. Um, and that's all we really need. But yeah, it's it's been a sobering a sobering reality. Isn't that a um, hymn when nothing else would help? God lifted me. Yeah. 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 So again, I'm, as I'm hearing about the whole sacrifice, you know, the first point you made, which is powerful and sobering, spiritual attack. As a leader, you're a threat, and our adversary is aware of that. To say that a leader versus a pew sitter are going to experience the same level of spiritual attack would be naive, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be greater attack. And so, yeah, the, the importance of that. So just putting yourself in that situation, if you step forward to, to lead in a spiritual place. I still remember the first time I, I got hit with criticism in my leading that took me off card. I'm like, what in the world? I'm trying to help and sacrifice here. Right. And- <laughs> And where did that come from? Blindsided by criticism. And I I read a book uh, by um, Chuck Swindoll called Hand Me Another Brick. One of the chapters was titled Criticism. So life-giving to me to go, okay, that's just part of the sacrifice of leadership. Mm -hmm. And you talked about time, which is always the deal. Leaders never off. You never can turn it off. And then fatigue. But there's there's fullness on the other side of that as well. So we talked about uh, discontentment. We talked about vision. We talked about influence. Talked about sacrifice. Now let's talk about brokenness. A.W. Tozer made this statement. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I mean, God gifts us. God calls us, invites us, and then he's got to break us so that he can use us. Yeah, God's broken me in the best way, sweetest way, over and over again. I needed it because 
I think about the pruning, Stan, and the just the profitability of, of pruning as far as kingdom fruitfulness um, of the, the vine and the branches. And I've had seasons where I just felt pruned. And I think on my own accord, I just, some brokenness in me would say, like, we can do enough. We can run hard enough. We can enough. We can blank enough. Um, to impact, to make momentum happen. And now I am thankful that at 32, I can say faster than most people, if he's not here, this thing won't move. And I'm not, not saying it because of a sermon I heard or, a, you know, I love Tozer. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> For, or, but even because of a book I've read, Stan, I'm saying it because I know it. If he is not with us, if he if he is not in it, the thing doesn't move. And that's a breaking um, that takes you to different levels of breaking. Um, he's he's shown me that I want to be enough. I want there to I mean, in complete vulnerability like there. I want to, there to be some great reason God chose me hmm. like. I'm always looking for the oh Lord, you know, like we want to find a little consolation. It's like you were there, like you were willing, and where God decides to to insert Himself in the the Spirit really comes alive in us. Like things will move, like things will happen in underdeveloped strategies with not enough money. Like He will supply the enoughness; He will meet you. But it is in like a broken and contrite spirit. I always think that blessed are those, they're, they're meek, those who humble, because I believe that the Lord will show up for those who need him too, those who want him too. And I see the Lord as just this really kind, um, really willing, sometimes corrective um, uh, Lord, you know, God over all things. And I just think that, wow, like you need to break us again and again um, because it's it's like it ushers us into the throne room of the gospel all over again for us to realize that we can and will never be enough but he has chosen us out of his infinite grace and i think i would have maybe had words for that 10 years ago stan mm-hmm. but i don't know it i didn't know it like i know it now mm-hmm. i have gotten taken to places and seasons in my own heart that have literally crushed me and i'm like father you're wanted here, you're needed here. And not just on a seasonal kind of level, like on a, I try to, I try to take that posture now into my life, like on a daily level. Mm. And because I just think about just that the woman who had their two copper coins and the sacrifice and the give, and like, it's scary all over again um, for us to be confronted with our brokenness in leadership. Um, but then again and again, the Lord compounds testimony to his ability and his sufficiency to show up in our brokenness. And he just fills every gap and he just shows up and shows off. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything else. Hmm. I don't want to be enough. I don't want to be any, you know, anything other than broken, willing, and like desperate for him, because that's just like the only place I've, I've seen real momentum. And so that's so fun for me. That's actually a, a recent really fun one for me. Um, though it doesn't seem fun, it's like, yeah, it's been probably the sweetest season of leadership for me right now. 
All right. So these are all quick answers. What advice would you give to a young aspiring leader? I'd say get close to God and get close to somebody who's leading close to God. Good. All right. What would you want to say to a seasoned leader? Yeah, that we are where we are because we stand on the shoulders of giants, Mm -hmm. that their contribution advanced the kingdom to the place and it positioned us in time to take um, to take our mantle, take the baton, so to speak, and to continue running. We wouldn't be where we are without their contribution. Good. Yeah. All right. So most impactful leadership book apart from the Bible. Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. Love it. All right. Most impactful leader that you've been under. Stan Parker. <laughs> I wasn't fishing and I don't for have you. another. Okay, Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my answer, you're going to try to make me change it and edit yes. it, but I'm like, nope, that's the answer. Most impactful productivity tool. Getting things done the ideal week. Mm-hmm. You, Yeah, the ideal week tool and the getting things done system. Good. Most impactful piece of advice you've ever received? I would say, yeah, most impactful advice for me would be like, you're not going to get to the end of your life and regret it. So live a life that you're going to, you're going to get to the end of it and you're going to go, I I made it count. Like mm. I, I did what I could mm. kind of the sigh of being in the presence of God and being like, I intentionally faithfully followed um, mm. all the days of my life. Yeah. Live a life of no regrets. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, Jessica, you are doing that (laughs) beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's been a blast for me to uh, be a cheerleader and watch. It's been a blast to have a conversation with you about leadership today. So thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, so glad to be here. Thanks for listening to How He's Building This, stories of the extraordinary work of God through ordinary leaders like you. We'll see you next time.